When I was in ninth grade, when I was in ninth grade, our school had open campus privilege for lunch. Anybody else have that? You get to walk off campus and go somewhere for lunch? Okay, clearly Oklahoma was cooler than anywhere you went to school. Okay, no. I think it's that our food was so bad they felt bad for us. And so, no. Um, some of you did, you know what I'm talking about. We could leave campus and go to a local restaurant or we could go to the grocery store and get something even cheaper. That's usually what I did. Or I just left campus because I didn't want to be at school for anymore. And, and so we would go. Well, there was this about a two or three month period that this really wild thing started happening. As we would leave campus, we'd pass by this one uh, store that had a big dumpster. And for about two or three months, this guy in his mid-20s, I would guess, decided that God had led him to bless us with him yelling at us the whole time that we walked by. So we would walk by, and what I remember as a 14-year-old boy is him telling me that I was a sinner and I was going to hell. And I'm sure he had other things to say, but that's all I remember. Because when I walk by and I hear, you're a sinner. Okay. I, I mean, I, yeah, okay. He says, and you're going to hell. Cool, thanks. And I mean, he's yelling at me, pointing from the top of a dumpster. And I'm sure his intentions were great, okay? But I can assure you that this was not appealing to any of us at all. And so <clears throat> I don't want to challenge the fact that, you know, I don't want to judge him. I don't want to challenge the fact that God may have led him. But I will say for you in, in just to say as a local church, as a body, if God, if you feel God leading you to stand on a dumpster and yell at kids, come and see me first. <laughs> and we'll pray about it. And if God tells both of us, I'll drive you. But we're probably not going anywhere. Okay. Just the reality. Now, you want to talk to people and care about them, that's a different thing. Let me explain. Um, fast forward to when I was 18, and some of you have heard this story, um, but it's a special story to me, <clears throat> to me because it was life-changing. Um, I was 18 years old, I met a girl working in a mall, and, um, and it was amazing because we came from two incredibly different backgrounds and lifestyles. Um, we, uh, yeah, I don't even know really why she was willing to talk to me other than Jesus. But, what was amazing is as we began to um, get to know each other, she would, she would uh, create a space to share life and faith with me and for me to ask questions about things that nobody else would and just created this space. And so we'd sit there on that bench between our stores when things were slow and we would talk about life and faith and deep things. And it was really cool. And I'll never forget the first time that I got her to come to my apartment. Now you hear how I said that, right? Because, I'll be honest, Jesus wasn't the only thing I liked about her. And so I invited her to my apartment, and all my friends were there, and they were crazy. And when they finally left, and it was just the two of us, and I'm thinking, now we can get down to business. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? It's where I was. I was an 18-year-old boy, and uh, I didn't know Jesus at all. And, um, and I sat there, and I looked at her, and she looked at me, and she said, you know, Jonas, she said, God loves you, and you don't have to live like this. And I did the manly thing. I broke down and bawled. I just fell apart because the Holy Spirit was doing something amazing. And, um, and that began this journey. I, I think it had already begun, but it, it began me moving towards Jesus. Now, in the Gospels, and specifically in Luke and Matthew, Jesus is referred to as the friend of sinners, right? So from those two stories I just told you, if I asked you which one of those best reflected Jesus in this way, you would pick the one where the guy on the dumpster, right? 
No. It's about loving people and caring for them and creating space for them to find Jesus and to meet Jesus. It's being used by him. Now, again, I'm not judging that guy. I think his heart was probably right. He just needed a little more discipleship, a little more encouragement in the right direction. Um, and uh, I mean, it would have been a lot better if he said to me as I was walking along, hey, you want to go grab a meal? I might have listened to him at that point. But if you're yelling at me, I got that a lot. And that wasn't helping. And so I think we need to understand Jesus has a way. So let me explain why I start this way. You might remember last week we started this series on living on mission, right? Living on mission. And we had Alec Absalom uh, on the video. And, um, and if you could hear past the English accent, I know some of you struggled with it. Go back and listen again. You'll pick up more. Um, I like it. I'm used to it now. Um, but he had some incredible stuff to tell us and to share with us about Jesus and parties. Doesn't that sound good? Now I have a question, because there was an action step. Did anybody throw a party this week? Okay, so far I've had four, four that have said yes. The rest of you, hold your hand out. I'm just kidding. No, what was he talking about? Not even throwing a huge party. He was talking about creating a safe space, an environment where people who don't yet know Jesus can come and enjoy fun, enjoy joy, experience the life in Christ that we have. And so creating those moments, it might be with just a couple people, it might be with a lot. Depends on how much you can handle, not just physically, but emotionally and relationally, you know? If you need to keep it small, keep it small. Parties can be small, but it's, it's really about loving people and creating that way. Well, as we, as we walk into this second week, I felt compelled to, to, to talk this morning about a critical, vital counterpart of living on mission that Jesus modeled for us and the disciples then carried on as a way of life after Jesus ascended to heaven, and that is incarnational living, incarnational living. The Apostle Paul describes it this way. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, he said, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. We didn't only want to share the gospel of God with you, the good news of Jesus, but we wanted to share our very lives. And that's really the step into incarnational. You see, like harsh words spoken without tact, or a fire that grows out of a fireplace, to be honest, missionality, living on mission without the incarnation, can hurt the cause of Christ more than it helps. We can know that we're called to go therefore and make disciples, and we can end up on a dumpster yelling at people, or we can look at the model, the example that Jesus gave us, and we could see a real difference come. We could see people begin to want to hear what we have to share. Remember Alex said last week, he, he talked about the, the quote, um, People don't know how much you care until they care. I mean, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's really that way. That was the life of Jesus. He, he created, he showed us this way. Um, so this is why I would say missional, being on mission with God, has an inseparable twin, incarnational. Incarnational means literally to take on flesh, to take on flesh. Uh, incarnational is how you go. Um, while, while mission means to go, incarnational is how we are to go. And, and, and it's what people experience and see as we are going. So as God calls us to go, therefore, and make disciples, it's the how. 
It's the what it looks like. It's what people experience. It's, it encompasses our posture, our tone, our motives, our hearts. And it's vital because it eventually determines whether or not people want to know us, and more importantly, whether they want to know the God that we're sharing. Amen? You with me? Okay, this is important. This is important stuff. So Jesus, he models, um, he modeled the incarnational ministry for us in the most powerful way. You might remember in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that all things were created by Him, and all that. Well, it goes on down to verse 14, and I want to read this to you from the message translation because I love it. It says, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. That's what Jesus did. Our God put on skin, put on flesh, incarnation, and came as one of us, lived as one of us, and then died for all of us on the cross, went to the tomb, and three days later rose again. And it doesn't end there, and we'll come back to that. <clears throat> it's only part of the good news. But I love what pastor, author, and civil rights activist John M. Perkins says. He said this about Jesus. Jesus didn't commute. He moved into the neighborhood. He knew what it was going to take, you know? He knew we needed that. Jesus didn't commute. He moved in. He became one of us. So with this in mind, <clears throat> we're going to look at two specific ways that Jesus and his disciples modeled incarnational ministry for us and how we can learn to apply them in our lives. In Acts chapter 3, there's a great story of Peter and John heading uh, to the temple to pray, and along the way they run into this lame man <clears throat> who was begging for money. You might remember the phrase, silver and gold I have not. <laughs> well, that's this story. And what's amazing is, is Peter and John minister to this man out on the street, they didn't take him into the temple. They didn't take him to the synagogue. They didn't right there on the street where the man was, they minister to him. They care for him right there. And, and it's incredible because it results in a great spiritual awakening with many would-be Christ followers. I mean, have you ever stopped to recognize how many times that God interrupts our daily schedule? Anybody ever have that happen? Okay. I, I like to interact in case you're wondering. Um, just to keep you awake, maybe. Um, no, the thing is, there are times like, I, I like to mention them like this. There may be those moments where we see a flower growing out of the sidewalk, you know, and you think, how in the world? And you have this moment, you know, my wife, <clears throat> my wife gets caught in pictures like that. You know, it's like, bam, something will hit her. For me, we're in the first service this morning. We're singing away. Kevin's leading us. The team's leading us, and we're worshiping. And I'm praying, God, would you come here, and would you meet with us? And as we're singing about the Trinity, all of a sudden, I, and I, this may seem crazy to you, and I am a little crazy, but I believe in imaginative prayer. I love to let God use his divine nature in me and use my imagination. And as I'm praying, all of a sudden, I get this vision of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit moving around amongst everybody, greeting everyone, hugging them, shaking hands. I was like, that's so cool. God, you are here. And, and that's really what he was saying to me. And those are God moments. It's when God interrupts us. Do you realize that's the good news? Because of what Jesus did for us, because Jesus died on that cross, not that one, but because that's a little, um, but because Jesus died on the cross, and I don't understand it all, I really don't. I don't understand how all of sin, of all of humanity, of all of time was transmitted onto him but I do know that the sky grew dark 
And he said, it is finished. He, he paid the price for our sin, never doing wrong. The once, the, the, the just for the unjust, once for all. You know, I, I, I think that's incredible. And he paid the price so that what? So that we could be forgiven and now have new life in Christ. We could know God the way we were designed to. From the very beginning, we were designed to have a relationship with the living God. He knew before he created us what it was going to cost him. And he did it anyway. It's incredible. Well, guess what? That isn't just so you enjoy him at church. It isn't so I just enjoy him here. He wants to interact with us all the time. And he wants to use our imaginations. He wants to, he gave us that, right? He, he wants to speak to you through a song or through a picture. Those God moments are for you, but they're not just for you. If it was only for the here and now, right? Like if, if it was just us, if it was just that he could redeem our soul. Pastor Mike said this so well at, at Mosaic yesterday before our Operation White Rose time. He said, he said if, if it was all about just us coming to know Jesus, the moment that we did begin a relationship with him, he would just take us to heaven. But instead, he said, there's more. I want to use you now, now that my spirit comes into you. I want to use you as an ambassador, as an agent of reconciliation and restoration in this world. We know that one day, what's called the consummation of all things, what, what means is Jesus, when he returns, that, that there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and all is going to be changed. It's going to be amazing. But until then, he's not only transforming us from the inside out, but he wants to use us to bring about that kind of change in this world. And that doesn't just happen at church or in a Bible study or those kind of things. It happens along the way. It happens along the way. So to be incarnational means that we must begin where Jesus began with us, right? Uh, where the people are, along the way, out there. It's just in the real life stuff. And I wrote down so many along the way moments, and I'm not going to go over all of them, but I am going to tell you, think about the places that he did things. At a wedding, he turned water to wine because he cared about people. You know, I, I struggle with this for a little bit because, you know, his mother comes to him and says, hey, they ran out of wine. And we're not talking your typical these days three or four hour wedding where you, you know, you book your event and they get you in and get everything done and then they get you out so they can change it over and do another wedding in the same day. We're talking days. It was a celebration of, of God and life and bringing lives together. And, and in the middle of this, they're out of wine. And they're like, wow, this is going to be a travesty for, all, it, it, this is just going to be terrible. And, and so the mother, his mother comes to him and he, remember what Jesus said? He said, woman, my time is not yet. And I love it. As any good mother says, she looks at the servants and says, do what he says. <laughs> I'm like, she knew. Do you know that in scripture, Jesus says he did nothing unless the father willed it? So in that moment at a wedding, the father willed for him to turn a lot of water into a lot of wine. Because he cared for people at a wedding. In the moment, God loves us. God cares for us right where we're at. At a wedding, John chapter 3 tells us Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, right? Nicodemus, a spiritual leader. He's a religious leader and, and, and you know, a Pharisee. And he wants to know, and they have that conversation. How many of you have heard John 3.16? For God so loved the world, right? Really? The rest of you have never heard that one. Just checking. I'm like, if not, we're really struggling. <clears throat> 
But in that conversation, which is a huge, well-known conversation, you know where that happened? At the house where Jesus was staying. We don't even know. It was just a place. He came at night. He came to him. And you know what happened? Nicodemus comes and Jesus says, man, it's been a long day, Nick. Can you come back tomorrow? No, he, he takes the time to have a spiritual discussion with him because that's what Jesus did. Because he cared about people. And it wasn't about his daytimer. It was about the fathers. And for us, it should be the same. God wants to interact with us along the way. He wants to impact us at weddings and on the street and, and, and at where we're staying. He, at a, at a, with the woman at the well, he, you know, uh, Simon Peter's mom there in her house, he doesn't say, well, bring her to church and we'll have a healing service. He says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal her there. He goes to the house and he heals her. It, it's, it's this this along the way at the place of life, wherever you're at, that's where God wants to meet you. And I think for us, we've, we've gotten to this mindset that, that there are spiritual places, right? And, 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 and rightly so. I mean, we come in, and don't get me wrong, when the church gathers for worship, it's incredible. And I pray that we count on interacting with God when we come on Sundays or Saturday nights. I pray that when the church gathers, we trust that we're going to meet with God as his body. And, and maybe at community group, we believe that. Or in your quiet time, or, or, you know, Bible studies, different things like that. But somehow, we've gotten this mindset that it's mostly or only in those places. That, that, that God heals and teaches and moves. And, and we have to remember that in God's kingdom, everywhere is spiritual. God wants to impact our lives everywhere. We don't decide, I only meet with God at church, or I, oh, you can decide that, and what a sad existence we live if we do. The good news is God wants to be with us, and he is, whether we believe it or not. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you've given him your life, he took your word, and, and he's with you. He is right with you. His spirit lives inside of you. And he is wanting, he's desiring to talk with you and know you and for you to know him every moment of every day. He wants the mundane, the dishwashing or the grass mowing to be as spiritual as coming in these doors to meet together. He, he wants to impact our lives. And he wants then, because that's the good news, by the way. I lived the first 18 years of my life without that. And when I met Jesus, that all changed. I'll never forget the day. I, I was there and I'm talking with my mother-in-law and, and we're having this conversation and she's telling me about heaven and hell. And I said, look, I know where you're going with this. I mean, I grew up in the Bible Belt, good old Oklahoma. And I said, I said and I get it, I don't want to go to hell, okay? And I do want to go to heaven. But if that's all you got, if you can't help me right now, I said, I'll save later for later. Silly way to think, but that's where I was at. And she said, but wait, here's the best part. The Holy Spirit. I said, because when Jesus died and went to the tomb, he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And then when he ascended to heaven, when he went back to heaven, he said, I must go that I can send one. The Holy Spirit who will counsel you, who will guide you in all truth, who will comfort you, who will lead you. He's going to live in you and abide in you. He's going to be with you all the time, everywhere, it doesn't get better. You know what happened that day? I said, if that's for real, that's what I want. And I believed it because I saw it in her. 
So I took a chance. And I said, God, I'm not sure how, but I trust because of what I see in, in these people that that really happened, that you took my sin. Please forgive me. And Lord, I want to receive this gift of new life that you give. I want to become a follower of Jesus. I give you my life. And that day, the Holy Spirit came into me. And I want to tell you, the loneliness and hurt and pain that I had felt that I went to bed with every night before that was gone. I've had so many conversations. I looked into so many faiths and religions throughout my early years trying to find something that could, could, could soothe my soul. There is no other faith or religion that offers us what God did for us. We don't have to earn it or keep it or prove it. Jesus did it all and gives it to us freely and says, now out of that, go live the life I give you. And we go, okay, when I'm at church or when I'm at Bible study, I'm going to meet with you. And he says, okay, but there's so much more. That's the good news. And if we're living that, if we're realizing that, we can be having the worst day and we have something to hold on to, don't we? Because he promised, in this world you'll have trouble. He said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I'm with you. And I'm your hope. It's incredible. Well, we walk through this, and we need to understand that, that, that it's not just one place. It's along the way, and he has so much more that he wants to impact us with. Second thing we need to see is that we need to keep the correct posture. My grandmother was infamous for, for teaching me how to have etiquette, Okay. My mother even had to go to finishing school before she went to college, right? I mean, my grandmother, she was the wife of a, a state Supreme Court justice, which we'll have to get into that some other day. But she tried to raise me, and I was a backwards, redneck Oklahoma kid, and she tried to raise me with all kinds of etiquette. And I know how to do it. You may not believe that. But she taught me how to set a table when I was like eight you know, and how to do all these things and what to eat with and what not to do and blah, blah, blah. I mean, to leave a table, I couldn't say, oh, I'm done. She'd have a fit. Grandmother, I've had sufficient. May I be excused? <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was ridiculous. But the one thing she, she went on and on and on about all the time was posture. She was like, sit up straight, Joe. I'm like, oh, Graham. Say, stand up straight, Joe. Grandma, why does it matter? Nobody cares. She said, look, someday you're going to go into a job interview. And if you're all slumped over and you're looking at your feet and you're like, hey, man, that guy doesn't, he doesn't see you for who you really are. And he's not going to hire you. He said, but if you stand up straight and you look people in the eye, they're going to see you for who you are and they're going to go, hey, I want to hire this young man. Now, I want to tell you, posture does matter in a lot of the things we look at. And it really matters in how we go missionally. Incarnational living has a posture piece to it. Let's look at Jesus' posture from John chapter 8 and see what I'm talking about. Because it's far more than physical, let me tell you. Starting in verse 1, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all of the people gathered around him. And he sat, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I love this. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, 
let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Wow. You want to talk about posture. You know, the religious guys were using her sin, which was sin, to try and test Jesus, Jesus' commitment to judge sinners. According to Old Testament law, Jesus was expected to condone her death of stoning, right? But he didn't. Instead, he becomes her advocate. He protects her. He, he turns the questions of judgment back on the religious people. This small but revolutionary act set Jesus apart not only from the expectations of the people of his time, but, but I believe from what you and I would generally expect. I don't know if you've ever thought about this story. I remember the first time I read it, it kind of freaked me out. Because like, I, I don't know that I expected Jesus to go stoner because Jesus was like loving. And I really thought he was a cool guy and I didn't think he would do that. But for him to then look at her and say, neither do I condemn you. Go and do whatever you want. No, he didn't, did he? He said, go and leave your life of sin. But first, he said, neither do I condemn you. What an incredible moment. Posture, posture, posture. Think about this. One of my favorite stories about Jesus is when he heals the leper. Leper comes to him, right? And, and lepers were unclean. They were, their, their skin was rotting off and they were unclean. There was, it was so contagious. And, and so they literally, when you were announced to be a leper, if, if you were diagnosed that way, you couldn't even go home to get your things or say goodbye to your family. You had to immediately leave the village, leave and get away from people. Often they would wear a bell and ring it and say, unclean, unclean, so that people could scatter and run. But here this leper comes to Jesus. Favorite, oh, it's one of my favorite stories. Jesus says, okay, stay back. I'm going to heal you, then you can come near. No, he doesn't. It's the Bible says Jesus embraced the man and then healed him. What this man had been longing for was love. And I mean, can you imagine? Maybe he was a father and he missed the hug of his wife and kids and he, he couldn't be with people anymore. And his body was literally wasting away, falling off. And, and he was a mess. And his last hope was Jesus. And he comes to him and Jesus doesn't keep away from him. He embraces him. He gives him what he longs for. And then he says, I mean, this man had to be freaking out himself going, you're kidding me. You're hugging me. And in the midst of that, then he heals him. You know, God calls us to have that same posture. Alex talked last week on the, vid last week on the video. He said, he said, we need to allow people to belong before they believe. Thank God people did that for me. Because as I said, the guy standing on the dumpster wasn't working. Telling me I had to believe certain things and jump through certain hoops wasn't going to cut it. I needed someone to show me the way of Jesus, to show me the posture of Jesus and love me before I would ever be ready to hear what they were sharing. Because once I saw that kind of love, that unconditional love through someone with skin in front of me, I could say, why do you love me? And maybe I didn't say it, but I wanted to know. I listened longer because of it. It's that posture that drew me. Posture matters. While poor posture communicates judgment, Christ-like posture displays love. We must learn to carry ourselves with the posture of Jesus. All right, 
Before we get to our action step for this week, I want to recap a little bit, right? Missional means to go. Go therefore, make disciples. We all agree Jesus told us to do that, right? Anybody with me? Come on, get them up. All right. If he's given you the good news, if you've believed in it, he said, now go share it. And I want to tell you that if you really believe it's good news, you can't help but share it. And when you're not sharing it, you feel like you should be sharing it. It's something that's in us. It's like joy that's bubbling over. And if you're not experiencing that, I'm not saying that we don't have down times, but if you find yourself more than less not experiencing good news, I'm going to guess that you're probably not looking for him throughout every day. Keep your eyes and ears open for him. He wants to speak to you, you know? He wants to be with you. He wants you to know that he's there and he loves you and he's for you and he likes you. He calls you friend. Like God, he did all of that so that we could walk with him and know him. And we don't have to wait for heaven. Heaven should just be a door we step through and it only gets better, you know? And that, that's incredible to me. And that's what he invites us into. But missional means to go therefore and make disciples, showing them that. But incarnational is the how we are to go. Now, think of these as two wheels of a bike. Both are necessary. God not only desires us to answer his call to live the missional life, but also to pattern our lives after Jesus in how he lived out the mission in, incarnationally. He stepped out of heaven, put on the same skin that we wear so that he could live as one of us and ultimately die for all of us to offer us life. In this way, he showed us that he wasn't here to judge and condemn. Rather, he was here to seek and save, to redeem, to reconcile, restore. And now he empowers us with his spirit to live out this mission in the same way. Last week, you had an action step. It was to throw a party. And you didn't take it yet. You should be putting those on the calendar, thinking about how you're going to spend time with somebody. And I'm going to put some teeth to it here in just a minute. Um, your party may be smaller than you thought, but that's okay. Maybe it will be big. Um, but at the end of the service, Pastor Brian encouraged us all to think of two or three people, to think of a couple people throughout this series and really our lives that don't yet know Jesus and to begin praying, to begin asking God, how do you want to use me in their lives? Does anybody remember him saying that? Okay, I was at four services, and he said it at all four. All right, so I know he said it. That's an action step. Well, this week, I want you to remember those people because I want us to ask God. Here's your action step for this week, so think about this. Ask God to give you the opportunity to bless someone in your life who has yet to become a follower of Jesus, someone who doesn't have the hope that you do yet. Okay, I want you to first ask God who they are, and second, ask him to give you opportunity to bless them. Now, let me tell you how we're going to bless them. And this is an acronym that you're going to begin to see over the next, well, probably for a long time. So let's go to this. This is how we're going to bless. Okay? We're going to begin with prayer. For them and with them. And what I mean is the first thing you're going to do is pray. God, show me how I can get to know them better. Show me how you want to use me to share your love with them. How I can be your hands and feet. How I can be your mouth. How I can be salt and light how I can love them. I want, I want to bless them. I want, show me who, show me how. And then, um, it was in our Crossroads class, we've been uh, talking about this a lot. And, um, and Ken Foreman said, you know, he said, I remember when God transitioned me from just praying for people to praying with people. 
And he said, and I found that no one's ever denied me. In fact, he reminded me that, that, you know, his talk reminded me of when I was working at the hospital as a patient rep. I used to do this all the time. People would be in severe trauma, all kinds of things going on, and, and, and it would be, you know, when you're at the emergency room, you're not there because you love it, you know? Well, if you are, I'm sorry. But, but um, even the nurses and doctors, they love caring for you. But it's not like they love to be in the midst of your trauma. They, they don't want you to hurt, you know? And so what God showed me is that people are in a, in a place where I could offer them something. I could offer to come alongside of them. I could take a posture of love and care for them. And, and, and I could say, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? I only ever had one person say no to me. And within a few moments, he goes, okay, go ahead and pray. And, and so the reality is it, it says I care about you. Now, I know that's scary for some of you. So don't start with that. Start with just praying for them. It's okay. As they're sharing life, as you're listening to them, and that's the second thing is listen. As you're listening to what's going on in their lives, let them know, hey, I just want you to know I'm going to be praying about that. Let them know I'm praying for you. I care about you. Because I'll tell you something. Your friends who don't know Jesus yet, if they know you're a Christian, which they should, and if they do, they expect you to be spiritual. They expect you to be people who pray. And if they don't, then they don't know what a Christian is. And, and that's an opportunity for you to share. But the reality is they expect things. I think sometimes in our world we're afraid people are going to be uh, freaked out by it. You know what? When you care enough to say that I... And you don't even have to say this. If you're living out a relationship with God, they see you believing in Him. And when you say... I would like to pray. I had someone say to me, I don't know if I believe. And I said, I'll believe for both of us. That was this guy. And he goes, okay, go ahead and pray. And, and that's, that's the reality is people expect this, you know? And so I think it's important that, that we live out our faith. We don't be afraid. We care for people enough to say, I will be praying for you. And when you see them the next time, please pray before you do. Please don't just say you're going to pray and don't. In fact, for a long time, what I would do, a friend taught me this, I would say, hey, I'll be praying for you. And, and then later I'd be convicted because I'd see him and I'd be like, wow, I haven't prayed for him. I should have been praying for him. And, and, and he said, you know what I do? When I walk away, as soon as I'm walking away, I pray immediately. And he said, as soon as I do that once, it's like it comes back to my mind throughout the week. But I did it so that I can know that I really did what I said I would do. And he said, and it began to change things because as you come back into that relationship and you say, hey, I've been praying for you. Bill, how, how are things going? And you're like, wow, you really remember that. That's a posture that Jesus would take. I care about you. And I legitimately have been carrying you to the throne of my father, asking him to work on your behalf. I care about you. And he does too. So begin with prayer and then listen. Listen to God and them. We need to listen to God. God will give us divine appointments, as my mother-in-law says, all the time. If you pray and you say, God, I mean, he, when you tell him you give him your life, I surrender my life to yours. I want all of you and you can have all of me, God. I want to follow you. He believes you. He takes you at your word. And so now your schedule is his. <laughs> and so he wants to use you. He wants to move in and throughout of you all the time. And so, so be ready. Just be ready and listen for him to move. But listen to the people you're talking to also. If you know me well, you know that I love to talk more than I like to listen. But God is teaching me to listen. Recently, I was in a conversation with someone, 
and we were in that talk, and you ever been in a talk where you're talking to somebody, and you know, you're talking about all this stuff, but you're really not talking about what needs to be talked about? Like, you know that there's something going on in their life, and you don't know how to get to it without just going, okay, tell me what's going on, you know? Like, it's because I tend to be a little forceful sometimes, and I'm learning to be a little more empathetic and a little more listening and to take the posture of Jesus. And it was the wildest thing, but God said to me, just ask him. And I was like, what? So as I listened, I heard this moment. I was like, okay, maybe that's it. And I said, hey, I don't know what's going on, but it sounds like something, it feels like something deeper is happening here. Like, you're hurting. And I don't know, and it was like you would have thought I opened a floodgate, like I opened the valve on a fire hydrant. It just, the whole story and pain and hurt came out and it was there and tears and, and wow, God began to bring healing and, and it was incredible. Why? Did I say anything or do magic things? No, I just listened. I listened to God and I listened to them. I just said, what's really going on? And, and people, does anybody here like to be listened to? Come on, you know you all do. Even if you don't want to talk, you still like when someone will listen. We need to be listeners. We need to listen to God and we need to listen to them. Then third, we need to eat. And what I mean by that is show hospitality. It's something that happens when we, when we have a meal or have a cup of coffee with someone. When we sit at a table, it equals the playing field. It says, I want to spend time with you. I want to know you and I want you to know me. I want to open my life and I want to share life with you. And we do that and we eat together. So it's not really about the food at all, although food is a great way to bring down walls. But I want to share something even a little bit deeper. Ready? You may have like in your calendar, you're like, okay, I got this hour and I'm going to, this is the, and I feel like God really wants to work in them. And this is, I know. And so I'm going to invite them this time on Thursday at two o'clock and, and, and you call them or you see them and you say, hey, how about Thursday at two? And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so busy on Thursday. And they say, what about Friday? And you're like, oh, I had something planned. Friday's my day. Friday. Oh, but I, I, oh. And God says, what's more important, their soul or what you had planned for Friday? Wow, it gets real, doesn't it? Because most of the time we can adjust our schedule. Not always, and I'm not saying make yourself crazy over it. That's not my point. I think God will work it out. You'll know if he's calling you to it. But let me tell you why. And it's a little bit farther. Even before someone begins a relationship with Jesus, if you've started into this relationship, God's calling you to work in their life, to, to love them, to care for them. You're already discipling them. So let's say down the road, they have now become a follower of Jesus. And someone, you know, God calls them to reach out to somebody and care for somebody to share hope with. And, and they go and they ask somebody if they'd like to get coffee. And that person says, you know, I can't today, but how about tomorrow? And they go, well, I remember when Jonas was reaching out to me. And it always seemed like, he had time in his schedule for me, but if I was busy, it didn't work. So I had to make myself fit into that. And so, no, I, I don't, if you can't fit into my schedule, what kind of disciples would we be making? You know, you hear what I'm saying? Like people, we, we look at the life of Jesus for the posture that we're to take, to recognize that our schedule, our checkbook, our life, our everything is God's. So use me. And we say that here, but he calls us to live it out there. And so when we say that, he wants to use us, and we have to be willing to adjust. That's hard for some of us. 
it's harder for some of us more than others, trust me. And it seems like the older I get, the harder it gets. It's like, no, I, I, I had my agenda. And that moves us to the next one, serve. Okay, ready, serve. Care for people. Okay, in a room full of church-going people, how many of you are willing to serve people? Okay, thanks for your honesty. A few of you didn't raise your hand, all right? No, I'm just, uh, no, the reality is, you know, and, and I think I would say a lot of us like to serve people. It feels good, like you serve someone, you care for them, and it's like, wow, I got to bless them, and that felt really good for me too, and that's really cool. But guess what? God not only wants you to serve them and care for them, but he wants you to let them care for you also. Remember, Jesus didn't only wash feet, but he let his feet get washed too. He says the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. So our way of life, our posture first needs to be one of a servant. We know that. Let me make it real. I'm doing something at my house. I have a project going, and I got something going on, and I know how I want it done, and I know when I want to do it, and I know how it's going to look when I'm done. And so then my neighbor, who doesn't have any idea how to do what I'm doing, says, hey, you want some help with that? And we all say, oh, yes, please come and help me get this done. That'll take twice as long and not turn out how I wanted it. That'll be great. Just being real. It's in those moments that we have to stop and say, what's more important? I have to stop and say, what's more important? Now, I will tell you that if you say, if you turn to your neighbor and you go, yeah, I would love a hand. They're probably going to go, oh, crap, I didn't think you'd really say yes. You know, because nobody does. And, and so we always offer to serve, and we have to, like, force ourselves on our neighbors. Guess what? If you've let them serve, it's more likely they're going to let you serve. And that's how the kingdom works. When I started today talking about the Connect card, it's a reciprocal relationship on this journey with Jesus. We're a body. Well, we're discipling each other. And so we got to learn this. So as you're serving, let people serve you because it brings down the walls. And you're able to love and share the way of Jesus. And then finally, share your story. And I think by this point, you will have a lot. I mean, how many times have you gone into a conversation with someone and you know God's been bringing it along the way and you're like, man, Lord, I'm just, I just really want them to, to know you because I know how much it changed my life and I know what it'll do for them. I know how good it is. And, and you're in that. And you, all of a sudden they're sharing, like I, sitting in, the, in that conversation, you know, a couple weeks ago, hearing this story and this pain, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, I can't identify fully with the exact story, but I, the pain that they're experiencing, I've been through, and I know the only way I made it was my hope in Jesus. And guess what I can say? You know what? I, I haven't been through exactly what you're talking about, but this is one thing that I went through, and when I did... I want to tell you that what made the big difference is my relationship with God. It gives me hope in those hopeless times. It gives me, gives me something to hold on to when the whole world is rocking. And can I tell you how you can have that too? Now that's where it gets real. But that's the good news. If you had the cure for cancer in your pocket, and somebody told you they had cancer, would you go, oh, I don't know, it might weird them out if I told them. I'm just saying, if Jesus really changed your life, why in the world aren't we sharing that all the time? Begin with prayer, listen to God and them, eat with them, share life, share hospitality, 
Serve them. Let them serve you. Share your story and the good news of what Jesus has done because it's for all of us. It's for all of us. I want to close with a story that gives a great view of how this looks in someone's life. Um, it's from a book called, A Community Called Atonement by Scott McKnight. Um, great book. He describes a woman named Dawn as having some tough years with alcohol, failed personal relationships and depression, but finally found her feet for the journey and now works part-time at emergency department. Here's her story. She says, in my years in the ER, I saw Jesus daily doing his kingdom work in and through a group of followers, a group of his followers. It was a true expression of the church. One day stands out beyond all the others and left me radically changed forever. It was the day I saw Jesus face to face. Give us hearts as servants was the song they were singing as I left the church service, heading off for my second 12 hour shift in a row. Weekends in the ER can be absolutely brutal. I was physically and emotionally spent as I walked up to the employee entrance. The sound of ambulances and an approaching medical helicopter were telltale signs that I would be literally hitting the ground running. Dawn, can you lock down room 15, yelled out my charge nurse as I crawled up to the nurse's station. When someone asked for a lockdown, it was usually a psychiatric or combative case. Two security guards stood outside the room, biceps flexing like bouncers, anticipating a drunken brawl. My eyes rolled as I walked past them into the room to set up. The masked medics arrived with the patient, strapped and restrained to their cart. The hallway cleared with heads, with heads turned away in disgust at the smell surrounding them. They entered the room and I could see the patient with his feet hung over the edge of the cart, covered with plastic bags that were tightly taped around the ankles. The ER doctor quickly examined the patient while we settled him in. The medics rattled off their findings in the background with, with the patient mumbling in harmony right along with them. The smell was overpowering as they uncovered his swollen, mold-encrusted feet. After tucking him in and taking his vital signs, I left the room to tend to my 10 other patients in waiting. Returning to the nurse's station, I overheard the other nurses and techs arguing about who would take this, this person as their patient. In addition to the usual lab work and tests, the doctor had ordered a shower complete with betadine foot scrub, antibiotic ointment, and non-adherent wraps. The charge nurse looked in my direction. Don, will you please take him? Please? You don't have to do the foot scrub. Just give him a sponge in the shower. I agreed and made my way to gather the supplies and waited for the security guard to open up the hazmat shower. As I waited with the patient, the numbness of my, of my busyness was interrupted by an overwhelming sadness. I watched him, restless and mumbling incoherently to himself through his scruff of a beard and mustache. His eyes were hidden behind his ratted, curly, shoulder-length mane. This poor shell of a man had no one to love him. I wondered about his past and what happened to bring him to this hopelessly empty place in life. No one in the ER that day really looked at him and no one wanted to touch him. They wanted to ignore him and his broken life. But as much as I tried, I could not. I was drawn to him. The smirking security guards helped me walk him to the shower. As we entered the shower room, I set out the shampoo, the soaps, the towels, like it was a five-star hotel. I felt in my heart that for at least 10 minutes, this forgotten man would be treated as a king. I thought for those 10 minutes, he would see the love of Jesus. I set down the foot sponge and decided that I would do the betadine foot scrub by myself as soon as his shower was finished. I called the stock room, stock room for two large basins and a chair. When he was finished in the shower, I pulled back the curtain and I walked him to his throne of warmed blankets and the two basins set on the floor. 
As I knelt at his feet, my heart broke and my stomach turned as I gently picked at his swollen, rotten feet. Most of his nails were black and curled over the top of his toes. The skin was rough and broken and oozing pus. Tears streamed down my face while my gloved hands tenderly sponged the brown soap over his wounded feet. The room was now quiet as the once mocking security guard started to help me by handing me towels. As I patted the last foot dry, I looked up and for the first time, his eyes looked into mine. For that moment, he was alert and aware and weeping as he quietly said, thank you. In that moment, I was the one seeing Jesus. He was there all along, right where he said he would be. Matthew 25, 35 to 40 says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? Or when was it we saw you as a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Let's ask God to help us learn to live incarnationally as we look for the opportunity to bless someone he's placed in our lives.